What's up? Happy Wednesday. I'm Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippey Rights Podcast. We have a loaded Wednesday show for you. We're going to talk to Kevin Bohannon of the Hog Talk Podcast, part of the Believe Podcast Network. Does some work for 1037 The Buzz there as well. In Little Rock, get a closer look on the Razorbacks and what is your pretty typical Wednesday show in that sense. Getting to know a little bit more about KJ Jefferson, Arkansas's front seven, and what has made Arkansas successful through five games. I know they're coming off a bit of an ass kicking against Georgia. Really, not a bit of an ass kicking, an absolute ass kicking. But I don't think anyone expected Arkansas to be four and one at this point with wins over Texas and Texas A&M. And that's one of the things I asked him as well is how whether he wanted to go from a program or in fan base or even just a media standpoint, kind of how that's viewed now, seeing how Texas A&M has looked with Zach Calzada continuing to quarterback them and their defense looking a little bit softer uh, after what was a really, really brutal loss to Mississippi State over the weekend. So how does that look now? Because Texas, once they changed quarterbacks, has looked a lot better, but that didn't happen until after they left Fayetteville. So like, how do you kind of view those wins and through what prism do you view those now? Got into a bunch of different stuff anyway. So I hope you... uh Hope you learn a little bit from the interview, little, a little bit of a different interview, I would say, uh, just from the standpoint of Kevin's like me. I think he does this. I think he has the day job in, the, in marketing as well and uh, kind of does this as a balancing two jobs type of thing. And Arkansas media contingent, like slightly different, um, you know, I'm probably pick up what I'm putting down in some degree, but I, anyway, I appreciate not irrelevant, but I'm just saying it's a little bit different than the couple of the last guys we've had on in, in a couple of senses, but I think you'll learn a lot from it as well, hopefully, as you try to get a better sense of the Razorbacks and what is an important game for Ole Miss as well. So we've got that, and then I'll have an open here at the top about why we'll learn more about Ole Miss in this game and then what kind of divulges into a bit of a larger uh, discussion about sports media. That's not really true. I'm going to explain why this game will learn more about Ole Miss in this game and then kind of explain why that's not necessarily much of a nuanced opinion and something you didn't already know. But I think it's something worth diving into at the same time, if that makes any sense at all. But before we get to that, I want to remind you the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval and Advanced Modeling Mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the industry. Skybox 5, 2, and 1, I believe. I can't remember if the 1 was there or not, or it was just straight 5 and 2 in the NFL. That's following up a 9 and 1 week in the NFL last week and a 7 and 0 week in week 1. Absolutely crushing on the NFL, kind of riding the wave of college football, as I think we all heard at this point as we kind of try to sort this thing out. I mean, how look at the Vegas lines each week. They're not even 100% positive what's going on. Crushing it on NASCAR as well. They are, they hit a plus 1400 winner. That seems pretty good. You guys know I don't know anything about NASCAR. We had their NASCAR handicapper on to uh, explain it to me like I was four in the summer, in which I still contend is one of the better and hopefully more educational podcasts we've done. That was great stuff. We're going to have to get him back on sometime soon. Maybe not during the peak of football season per se, but uh, that was fantastic. I probably asked the dumbest questions and he gave great answers, which was awesome. Anyway, check them out. Skyboxsportspicks.com. They're going to have a package that fits your price range, whether that's month long, season long. I'd recommend just going all in on Skybox year long, all sports pass. I promise you you're going to profit. And then some 
But, you know, if you're kind of sticking to one sport, want to try it for a week, for a month, they're going to have something that fits your price range. So go check them out. And if you use the promo code RIPPY, that's R-I-P-P-E-E, you'll get 20% off any purchase. And that, that you using that lets them know we sent you. So we had some dudes for a while checking in on the Skybox based off of their traffic at Skybox Sports Picks website. But forgetting to put in the promo code, that's uh, that's just pissing away free money. And it lets uh, them know that we sent you. So that helps us out anyway. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger, the best butcher shop in the world. Absolutely the best place in Mississippi to get meat. LB's is not a secret anymore. I used to do these ad reads and try to like kind of portray LB's as this hidden gem. And it's not. All of those, those of you that have spent time in Oxford that have listened to this podcast, whether you're new, old, whatever, no LB's. It's absolutely the best butcher shop in the world. Lane Train Special, Keith Carter Special, the bacon wrap fillets, all kinds of fresh seafood, incredible sausages. I go in there every time and I'm like, Greg, what is this? And he's like, this is such and such sausage. And uh, I say that because I don't know anything about cooking or grilling other than I can do the basics. And it always is delicious every time. Spicy ribeye sausage is always a go-to. Speaking of which, if you're a subscriber to the Rippy Rights newsletter, that's rippyrights.substack.com, you get a free newsletter three to five times a week from yours truly and discounted meat, which right now is a $20, or excuse me, a 16 ounce prime strip for 15 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's a hell of a kickstart to your weekend for 20 bucks and a tasty dinner. Maybe you'll uh, throw that on the grill this weekend, whether you're in Oxford, 11 a.m. game, you got time to go throw it on the grill after Ole Miss uh, plays Arkansas. And if you're not in Oxford, or you're stopping through Oxford, you're not going to the game. It's absolutely a hell of a way to kick off your football watching weekend. I am headed to Oxford this weekend. Can't wait to get back, uh, see some folks and really just kind of experience uh, Ole Miss from a different lens that I haven't done in quite some time. Now that I'm not doing this full time, but I'm definitely going to stop by LB's is the point. Uh, check them out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Can't wait to bring some awesome stuff back home with me to Texas. So don't go to Kroger. Greg wants you to make your grilling experience better. I think we declared war on Kroger a while back, and uh, uh, that's certainly effective. I haven't seen an out-of-business sign yet, but that's our end goal. So check them out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. All right, today's podcast open is on what we learned from Ole Miss last week and why we will probably learn more about this team, Lane Kiffin, and the trajectory of this program this week. It's really not some nuanced take. I've seen a lot of, of opinions out there, I should say, and it's not a wrong opinion, and I hate being this guy to kind of be like, everyone out here is dumb, and here's the reason why. It's not what I'm trying to get out here, but I've seen a pretty common sentiment that this game is a more important game for Ole Miss than the Alabama game was. And kind of it's portrayed with the air of check out. I'm zagging when everyone else is zigging. What do you mean? The game against the number one team in the country is not more important in reality. That's not really a nuanced take. That's a classic zig when you're going with the rest, I guess with the rest of the crowd uh, when you think you're zagging. And I think there's a reason for that. And honestly, I try not to turn these opens into just, rants in larger sports media or about larger sports media per se uh if you've ever listened to a podcast i've done with my old pal michael borky old radio pal uh, <laughs> everything we talk about from a media landscape could probably turn into a uh, rant about just the industry as a whole uh which i love talking to him about that and kind of bouncing around ideas about this broken 
cutthroat yet kind of awesome uh, industry that we both worked in. I'm still kind of in. But anyway, point being, I try not to turn like everything into a larger scale rant about sports media and social media and everything that, you know, we interact with on a daily basis. But I couldn't really help it with this one. So I've seen the take out there a decent bit that uh, this is a more important game for Ole Miss than playing in Bryant, Denny, and Tuscaloosa. Well, to that I say, no shit, Sherlock. That is not anything profound. Uh, if that led uh, your show, uh, you, it's not it's not the uh, the sledgehammer of the take that I think you might believe it is. And uh, we'll get into why. And why is that? Like, why why do we do that? I think it's because we've come to expect the lowest common denominator of discourse and opinion. You see it in sports media. You see it in politics. You see it really everywhere across social media and the internet. And what do I mean by that? Well, I guess here's what I mean. We've become so programmed. I'll keep this to a sports media perspective. I'm really not trying to dive into politics that you guys don't come here for that shit. And I have no interest in giving it to you. So from a sports media landscape, why do we do this? Why do we, like, why is the, most obvious opinions out there or the most obvious statements out there, uh, seemingly the most obvious, like been like turned into zags at times. And what do I mean by that? Well, like the same thing here, the most important game or the more important game is Arkansas and not Alabama. Well, if you actually look at it rationally again, like I said, no shit, but again, why do we do this? I think it's because we've become, we've come to expect with the way from a consumer standpoint, and I have this weird vantage point because I, I guess now I'm both, well, even though I worked in media full time, I was both a consumer and a producer in terms of this kind of content machine. The way this is packaged to us now, we come to expect the lowest common denominator of opinions. And that kind of falls hand in hand with the most outlandish opinions that's going to draw a rise and a reaction out of you. And it's going to get you to comment on that post. And it's going to get you to comment on that Instagram feed amongst, amongst the sea of, you know, porn bots or guys plugging their SoundCloud on Instagram. I would encourage you to ever go look at ESPN's post where it's like, wow, that's got 15,000 comments. And it's actually like 7,000 of it is just some bot porn account where it's like, don't click on my story if you don't want to get wet or it's just something absurd like that, but neither here nor there. We've kind of realized that the outlandish take culture is what drives interaction. And I think that's, you know, dumbed down a, what should be and could be a healthier way to consume information. And what do I mean by that? Well, I still think it's out there. I still think it lives. I like to think, and you know, I've tried, always tried to stay away from that kind of the take culture and the outlandish, you know, I'm going to have this big boisterous opinion that I'm not even sure I believe because I want to try to get people to come consume my content. And that's not some, don't confuse that for some noble stance I'm taking. I don't have a fraction of the audience for that to be a successful platform. I like to think people come seek out this podcast or whatever it is I'm writing and learn something and laugh a little bit on the way too. So I, that's never really been my thing. I've always tried to stay away from it. But anyway, I think that's kind of boiled over in why you're seeing kind of the obvious become a zag in some senses. And so, you know, at the risk of turning in this, like I mentioned at the top, a full on rant about sports media, I just kind of chuckle every time I like would see that they, this game's more important for Ole Miss than the Alabama games. Pat yourself on the back there, buddy. You got 200 likes and a couple of retweets out of it. It's not really profound content. With that being said, I don't think there's, you know, 
lacking like that i don't think that stance necessarily lacks merit per se and i think it's worth exploring and i think maybe a more nuanced way to go about it is well I, you know importance is a relative term because if Ole miss had gone into tuscaloosa and won last week i would say that game would probably be more important than beating an arkansas team you're probably supposed to beat at home with that being said you know importance is a hard thing to gauge now i think a better way to look at it is i think we'll learn a hell of a lot more about this team, this program, Lane Kiffin, and this coaching staff this week than we did in Alabama. Why is that the case? Well, let's just start listing the obvious. I kind of wrote it down. Well, Ole Miss didn't match up in the line of scrimmage again on either side of the line of scrimmage last week against Alabama. Why do you think that is? Well, Ole Miss has recruited pretty poorly on defense. It's gotten a little bit better, but they still don't really just have the front line talent in the front seven, particularly on the defensive line, to play a three-man front and stop Alabama's collection of future NFL prospects on the offensive line and an NFL running back from running for five and a half yards a carry. Is that really something we didn't already know going into the game? Or is that something because of playing Kiffin and Jeff Levy's offense, it's something that you know, maybe they could overcome by scoring 45 points or on the flip side of the ball, uh, you know, Ole Miss having a what I thought was a pretty slightly above average offensive line and is now looking average to below average. I'd still like to see how they fare this week against Arkansas, which I'll get to in a minute, not being able to block Alabama's defensive line. Could Kiffin and Levy scheme around that? And honestly, the realistic answer was always going to be no. There's shades of gray to it, right? Like if I didn't figure Ole Miss would fare as bad as they did against uh, Alabama uh, from a defensive line standpoint, Ole Miss blocking them on every play. I mean, my God, uh, Henry Toto and Will Anderson were men amongst boys out there. And I know I just got done talking about Alabama's defensive line and listed two linebackers, but particularly in Will Anderson's case, he pretty much kind of plays an edge guy in Alabama's odd fronted scheme. Ole Miss couldn't block him, and there's no scheme to overcome that. But did we really not know that going into the game? Again, I'm not trying to act like I'm stating the obvious and playing the results here. And, you know, everyone else is dumb for thinking that Ole Miss had a chance to win the game. I was guilty of it too. I didn't pick Ole Miss to win. I thought Ole Miss had a pretty good chance to win just kind of based off what you saw last year. Alabama looked a little bit vulnerable in a, against a Florida team that had not exactly been explosive offensively, but had a pretty good running game. I was kind of like you guys. I talked myself into it as well, but in reality, Ole Miss just did not have the talent to match up with Alabama. And that's, you know, it was almost like confirming what we thought. And that's why I probably always lean towards it being a free shot. In this version of the Ole Miss team, we can talk about it or this program. We can talk about it in two years when Kiffin and Levy or whoever else is there on the offensive and defensive side of the football get a couple more recruiting classes in. We can talk, we can revisit it later. But like that was probably confirming something we already knew. Was there a chance that Ole Miss played lights out offensively? They fared a little bit better on the offensive line and they got into a shootout with a chance to win in the fourth quarter? Sure. I'll even hear an argument that the game might have gone slightly differently had Ole Miss punched in that first touchdown instead of getting stopped on downs at the five. Like, I don't think Ole Miss would have won it. I think the rest of the game would have probably played out fairly similarly. But there is a world where Ole Miss could have gone over there and competed because they played a better Alabama offense last year in probably not as talented of an Alabama defense and took them into the fourth quarter in a seven point game with the 129th defense in the FBS. And I don't think Ole Miss is going to have the 129th defense in the FBS, even though everyone's down on them right now. So it's just not unrealistic to think Ole Miss 
had a chance to win that game. But at the same time, in terms of what did we learn and what could we have learned last week versus this week, I think last week just probably confirmed what we thought they might could overcome. But in the back of our minds, we probably knew that that was going to play out. Maybe not in the drastic manner that it did with Ole Miss getting down 28 to nothing, strip sack turnover, Alabama three or four drive starting in plus territory, it spiraling out of control that quickly and Ole Miss not being able to run the ball at all. But we probably already knew most of what transpired last week. So we didn't learn a whole lot. I think Ole Miss had a couple of things exposed. I think they have you know worse problems on the offensive line than maybe they thought beforehand. Um, I don't think you learned a ton about them defensively, although they offered a little bit of resistance. And that's weird to say after having Alabama scored 42 points. But I think Ole Miss got some weaknesses either underscored or exposed that they either knew were already there, but we didn't think were that bad, or maybe they didn't think were weaknesses at all. So with that being said, that's kind of what we quote unquote learned or confirmed last week. This week, going into this Arkansas game, I think we could learn a lot more about this team and this program. You could view this from a micro sense, or you could view it from a macro sense. We could probably hit on a little bit of both here in this open if you're not already bored to tears listening to me talk. So what can we learn about this team this week, and why will we learn more? Well, Ole Miss is going to get the same dosage of medicine that they got in Tuscaloosa. It's probably not going to be as potent of a dose, but Arkansas is going to try to do the same things. They're going to try to run the ball with a lot of zone concepts. They're going to try to run the ball both between the tackles and on the edge. They, you know, Arkansas is really good up front on the offensive line. They're pretty experienced. They've got decent talent up there, and they've got a good running back in Traylon Smith. And they have a good athlete at quarterback. He's not the greatest thrower of the football in KJ Jefferson, but he is a very good athlete that is heavily involved in their running game. And they're going to try to do a lot of the same things. And the same thing is going to be said on the defensive side of the football. They are going to try to put pressure with three to five guys on Matt Corral. They play kind of a three, three, five look. That's a little bit multiple that are kind of devolve into a three, four and some other three, two, six and a couple other different looks throughout the game, but their base is a three, three, five defense. And they're going to try to get pressure with three to four guys. And they're definitely going to try to stop the run and probably have somewhat decent success at it. If they sell out to it, basically daring Ole Miss to be one dimensional and be able to drop back and pass under pressure, just as Alabama did. They didn't fare well last week against it, that being Ole Miss. But, you know, as good as Arkansas has been in the trenches at times, they do not have the four- and five-star talent across the board that Alabama did and that, you know, Arkansas's opponent last week, Georgia, did. So that's why I think this is a bit more of an important test. And because – What we learned last week overall is that Ole Miss is not necessarily ready to compete at the level of an Alabama or a Georgia whose recruiting classes really speak for themselves. And it's really just a different talent level. And it's not only a different talent level to Ole Miss and a different talent level compared to Arkansas. It's a different talent level compared to the rest of college football outside of about two or three other programs. And two of those programs, Ohio State and Clemson, appear to be down this year. So from this year's standpoint, it's a different talent level than pretty much anyone else in college football. Again, it's not really something that's profound that we learned last week. But this week, we're going to find out where Ole Miss is as a program versus where they think they are. Ole Miss struggled to run the ball against the one of the best defensive lines in the country, probably the second best defensive line behind Georgia. Okay, are they going to struggle against a good 
SEC defensive line. Because you know who else has a good SEC defensive line? LSU. You know who else has one? A&M. You know who else has a decent one? Mississippi State. All those teams are still left on Ole Miss's schedule. Arkansas, or excuse me, Auburn has an okay one. I honestly haven't watched enough of Auburn to form an educated opinion on what I think they are defensively, and I'm not going to try to blow smoke up you guys' asses and talk about something I don't know. But they're probably confident. So how is Ole Miss going to fare against competent SEC defensive lines? It's been great against Louisville, who's a lot smaller up front, and against Tulane, who just does not have the talent, and you know Austin Peay, nothing else really needs to be said there. How is this Ole Miss offense, this Ole Miss running game, and this Ole Miss offensive line going to fare against good SEC defensive lines? Because if Ole Miss struggles to run the football, last time, if I'm not last week, if I'm not mistaken, was the first time in the Lane Kiffin era that Ole Miss did not run for 100 yards as a team. That's not an insignificant stat. Because what they do running the foot, running the football is important to pretty much everything else they do. It's important to their tempo. It's important to in opening up a lot of the RPO run action concepts in the passing game. And it's important to their overall flow offensively, because even with a Heisman contender quarterback, I don't think they're good enough at receiver to just be completely one dimensional and win football games. I, I just don't. I don't think they are. I don't know who is from a passing standpoint. I think you can be one dimensional in the SEC running the football and still kind of sneak up on some people and have a decent year. I'd offer you Arkansas and offer you Kentucky in terms of that. They don't really pass the ball very well. I don't think you can be one dimensional passing the football and have success in this league. So that's something we're going to learn about Ole Miss this week. How are they going to fare against everyone else? Because there's still a ton to play for in this season. Believe it or not, you probably called me crazy or I'd have probably called you crazy if you told me in August that this uh, early October matchup between Arkansas and Ole Miss is going to have serious New Year's Six Bowl implications. That would have been an insane statement in August and July. It's completely realistic now, given what A&M is, given what LSU is. Uh, I don't still really know what to make of Auburn and the rest of the SEC West. You kind of know Mississippi State probably not contending for a New Year's Six Bowl this year. So this has serious implications. And so how Ole Miss fares against kind of the uh, second class uh, of SEC opponents and SEC defensive lines and SEC defenses is going to be fascinating. And we're going to learn a lot about that this year. If Ole Miss, this week, if Ole Miss has success running the football and they kind of go back to their uh, quote-unquote old ways offensively, the offense we've become accustomed to seeing in 13 games under Lane Kiffin, then they've got a shot to still do something pretty special. But if Arkansas comes in and consistently gets pressure on Matt Corral and Ole Miss runs for two yards a rush, or shout-out to Dylan Edwards on Twitter for his stat about Ole Miss averaging .03 yards per rush uh, before they met initial contact, that's like – I mean, I'm not a math guy. That's like a few inches before they met initial contact. That's not good. If that happens again, then the perceived expectations of this team are probably going to have to be tampered down a little, and they're probably not as good as maybe people thought they were two weeks ago. So that's, in my mind, that's significant. I think you're going to learn a lot. I flip it to the other side of the football. Arkansas, again, like I mentioned earlier, is going to try to do the exact same thing. They're going to run a lot with Traylon Smith. They're going to run a lot with K.J. Jefferson. K.J. Jefferson has yet to attempt 25 passes in a game this year. And probably in his career, I didn't look at the reserve action he got last year. I would assume that's the case. He's not. 
He's only thrown it over 20 times in two of the five games. I can guarantee you they do not want to throw the ball 15 times with KJ Jefferson if they don't have to. And they may not have to if they are having the same amount of success, or they definitely won't have to if they're having the same amount of success running the football as Alabama did. Again, not as potent, certainly not as good on the offensive line, but Arkansas is a good SEC offensive line. They kind of push you around in the trenches. They did it to AM on both sides of the football and uh, are kind of the very, very, very light version of Alabama uh, in the sense of the two lines where they win individual battles and they push you off the line. They kind of met their match last week with Georgia, but again, elite talent, not really necessarily fair to where Arkansas is at from a program standpoint. So you're going to learn a lot. What can Ole Miss do to get out of the three, two, six? I don't really know. I would kind of contend that they don't necessarily have the personnel to do a whole lot else. Although if I were still working in media this week, no one asked the Austin Keys question. Ole Miss started the game with three linebackers last week. Uh, Austin Keys played like 30 something snaps. It seemed like they tried to get an extra linebacker on the field. I, I don't know the reasoning for that. I'm not going to pretend to be smart enough to tell you I know the reasoning for that, but it seemed to be some sort of attempted adjustment to kind of uh, temper Alabama's run game. It didn't work, but at least the personnel looks slightly different. So are they going to fare better? You know, is Ole Miss going to look better on the defensive line? I don't really know who they have bodies wise. I mean, you're talking about Quentin Bivens, Katie Hill, Tariqus Tisdale, who you really don't want on the interior, Sam Williams, who you don't want on the interior and uh, healthy Tavius Robinson, I guess, could move around. I mean, who else are you putting out there? I mean, Tywon Malone uh, certainly does not seem healthy or kind of with it enough from a uh, kind of schematic familiarity scan standpoint for them to trust him being out there. So there's just not enough bodies up front for them to do a whole lot else other than just kind of live and die by this three, two, six, or maybe stick a third linebacker out there. I don't know how much they can do. So Ole Miss is going to have to find to be a way to be better kind of generally with what they are currently working with. I don't think there's going to be some magic scheme that completely thwarts Arkansas's running game. The guys that are out there are just going to have to find a way to do it a little bit better. So I think we're going to learn a lot about them this week. If Arkansas comes in and rushes for 255 yards and a fairly stagnant Arkansas offense puts up 24 points or 27 points, and that's enough for them to win the game, well, now you're all of a sudden kind of taking a look back and looking at where where is Ole Miss as a program versus maybe where people thought they were two weeks ago. Uh, and the same could be said for Arkansas side if Ole Miss comes out and wins the game. I think this is a very telling game for both programs in terms of where they actually are versus where they maybe think they are. Because if Arkansas comes out and gives up 45 points to Ole Miss and loses 45-20 or something like that, it's like, okay, well, now the whole AM win doesn't look so good because AM just lost to State in College Station and their quarterback sucks and the defense has been way worse against the run than we thought. And they played Texas before Texas had the quarterback thing figured out. So it kind of does the whole uh, hindsight transitive property mix of who have they actually beaten type of thing. So I think this game matters from a lot of perspectives. And that's kind of the big picture thing we're going to learn. Where is Ole Miss as a program? If they come out and they slap Arkansas and like 45-20 or whatever the score you want to be and beat them with relative ease, well, who on Ole Miss's schedule can't they beat? You worry about AM coming to Oxford. Are you particularly scared of LSU coming to Oxford? I think a road game at Auburn is going to be a tough and a huge swing game should the initial result that I'm talking about play out. Um, but are you scared of Tennessee? Are you scared of Mississippi State? Like there's no one else left on Ole Miss's schedule that – I think they would necessarily be worried about like, how are we going to pull this one out type of thing? They could lose two, three 
any of those games, really. But you kind of get my point. You would feel good about Ole Miss's chances going into all those. Whereas if they lose, it's it's like, well, can they handle A&M at home? Could LSU kind of do the whole win one for the Gipper Orgeron's last stand, even though that seems over? I seriously doubt the latter part of that. I wouldn't necessarily know what to make of A&M yet, and I wouldn't like their chances against Auburn. And honestly, with the way Tennessee played offensively last week, that could be a bit of a coin flip. So I think we'll learn a lot in that sense about how the rest of this season is going to be viewed. Does Ole Miss have a chance to do something special with the second class of the SEC remaining on its schedule, second and third classes? Or are they kind of the six and six, seven and five team that didn't necessarily improve defensively like we thought and took a step back on the offensive line and its receivers can't create much separation? Who knows? I think we'll learn a lot more about that after this weekend. So that's kind of why I think we'll learn a lot more about this team this weekend and learn a hell of a lot more than we did last weekend, which was really just confirming what we thought. The last thing I will offer you is this. This was the game last year that Matt Corral threw six interceptions. He struggled against the drop eight coverage. We'll hear this in the interview in a minute. We talked about it ad nauseum. You've probably heard it written about it ad nauseum. Again, it's not really an original storyline to write about Matt Corral and the drop eight and how many picks he threw against it last year. It's six, by the way, if you've never heard that already. But that being said, I think it's pretty obvious Matt Corral not going to throw six interceptions, probably not going to throw half of those. I think Arkansas is going to be – uh, a little bit more aggressive in pressuring Corral and blitzing him based off what Ole Miss's offensive line showed last week against Alabama. Arkansas has been more aggressive blitzing because of the strength they have at linebacker and depth they have at linebacker than they were a year ago. So I think they'll mix it up regardless. But I guess my point being is can Corral kind of overcome and exercise the demons he faced against this same defensive coordinator and a lot of the same personnel last year, even if it's a mixture of different looks. And, you know, what do I mean by that other than is he going to throw six picks or not going to throw six picks? Is he going to come out and try to do too much? Or is this newfound sense of patience and unflappability that he's shown through four games, even in the Alabama game, I thought he played quite well. He wasn't you know, when things got terrible and he was constantly facing pressure, he didn't kind of throw it up and sling it and turn that into a four interception game and, you know, a 42 to seven game, not that the final score really matters or indicated how close or unclose that game was, but you get my point. He's been more patient and a lot more careful with the football and has certainly got better at kind of going to his second and third read. So, you know, will he be able to kind of conquer this defense that had his number last year without trying to go out there and throw seven touchdowns on the first drive and really just overdo it, become impatient, and fall into the same trap, yet it's in a different way. So I think we'll learn about a lot more about Corral this week because I don't think last week in Tuscaloosa is going to do a ton to his Heisman changes on its own. If he follows it up with a pedestrian performance or two, including this week in particular, then that's a different story. So I think we're going to learn a lot about Matt Corral this week. And I think we're going to learn a lot about Lane Kiffin, finally. It's he kind of got humbled, if, or if I, you would think, you would hope, I guess, if you're an Ole Miss fan that it humbled him. If, you know, the whole get your popcorn thing and him getting a little bit wrapped up in wanting to beat Nick Saban very badly, and that's not a bad thing. It's not something to necessarily knock him about, but naturally people were going to make fun of him for the popcorn thing, and, you know, rightfully so. How does he respond to that? You know, does Ole Miss show some more creativity last week? I thought the play calling was a little bit – lacking and I hate questioning play calling because I'm like you guys if you really want to admit it I don't know what I'm watching in terms of on a play-by-play basis the calling strategy of a game 
but a lot of the misdirection and the creativity in Ole Miss's running game was lacking last week. Did they kind of get back on their game in that sense? How does Kiffin handle this? How does he respond to kind of an embarrassing loss? Does he kind of rally the troops and get them to go out there and play well? Or do they look lethargic in 11 a.m. in what probably won't be a full stadium yet? It's an important game and kind of wallow back to a little bit more stinging defeat that really kind of has you questioning how much progress have they made and are they just really fun versus potentially pretty good? So I think we'll learn a lot about Ole Miss. I think we'll learn a lot about Kiffin. I think we'll learn a lot about Corral, this offense, what the floor and ceiling of this defense is this weekend against an opponent who's going to do the same thing and prey on the exact same weaknesses and is suited to do so, but is not just a complete and utter talent mismatch and unfair fight from that discrepancy. This is a fair fight. This Arkansas team is going to use the same strategies and prey on the same weaknesses, but this is a fair fight. And I think you learn a lot more about teams when they're in a fair fight versus when they're going up against guys who are higher rated than them coming out of high school for a reason and went to better programs for a reason. And that is why I think we'll learn a lot more about Ole Miss this weekend and what I believe will be the most telling and fascinating game of the Ole Miss's 2021 college football season. Thanks for that open. I have no idea, no idea if these are any good or not. Um, I just don't have as much time to write anymore. I'm uh, working a desk job eight to five, but I have a lot of time to drive in the car and think and kind of get my thoughts down somewhat in note form. And it's just kind of easier to put them out there like this. So I have no idea if this is any good. I'll probably keep doing it to fill podcast time, at least during football season. Uh, but hope you enjoyed it. And now let's get to our interview with Kevin Bohannon. All right, we now welcome on Kevin Bohannon. He is the host, co-host of the Hog Talk podcast, part of the Bleed Podcast Network, does some work for the for 1037 The Buzz there in Arkansas as well. Kevin, how are you? Hey, doing good, Brian. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm uh, looking forward to chatting about this game. Really fascinating matchup for a number of different reasons, and I can't decide necessarily where I want to start and I guess we'll just kind of start backtracking for Arkansas because I do have some big picture stuff I'd like to get to for as far as both schools for this game. But Arkansas comes into this four and one. They're ranked 13th in the country or somewhere around there, depending on what meaningless poll you'd like to go off of. <laughs> How I know this is like going to sound like a bad question, but this is such a fascinating team with the way they've won games. And I think they've won games in a couple of different ways, although it's kind of looked like, I guess, different iterations of the same thing. As best you could describe it, this four and one start, which I don't think really anyone expected. I think a lot of people, even around the program, probably wouldn't have quite expected Arkansas to pick off both AM and Texas in the season's first five weeks. In your mind, how has this happened? I put it, I, I had us at three and two, and it all goes back to the culture that Sam Pittman is building. And with the, the student athletes buying in, you got a lot of super seniors on this team. And that's where it all starts. And you talk about, you know, different uh, reiterations of how they have won ball games. If you look at Rice, it was uh, played okay, and then the offense really got going. They showed their depth, speed, which was something that Arkansas has this year that we haven't had in past years. And then against Texas, it was complete uh, domination from the get-go. It was the first time they had a sellout in Donald W. Reynolds Razorback Stadium since 2017. And then the momentum kind of picked up, and you did the same thing against AM by jumping out 17-0 and then hanging on and flexing your muscle there at the end. 
But then you ran into the big boys. And this is where Arkansas found out that they're not ready for this type of football yet. And that's being on the elite level of a Georgia or Alabama. We said on the Hog Talk podcast on Sunday that it's it's Alabama and Georgia, a big gap than everybody else. Doesn't matter where you're ranked. And I liked what you said about whatever you know poll you want to uh, subscribe to or bow down to. It doesn't matter because it, it can't measure the difference in a team in a poll. You can do it on the field, and that's what happened on Saturday when Georgia won 37-0. Uh, these young men believe. Uh, the Razorbacks are, are finally believing that they can win. And with this series, it, it's, it is a dynamic series because of this is more of a rivalry for Arkansas fans than probably they want to give credit to. I think it's 18-14 in favor of Arkansas. 9-6 over the last 15 years. So if you look at that, th- this is a really close series, and it bodes to be a really close game on Saturday. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree. And you talk about not necessarily being ready to compete at that level. Ole Miss found out that way as well. But what was interesting, I mean, how at this rate, kind of what I've seen in college football so far this year, I'm not sure anyone would be quote-unquote ready to go up against that Georgia defense. That's got a potential to be kind of an all-timer defense and be a little bit of a throwback team, whereas nowadays with the way football is going and particularly what you've seen in the last half decade SEC-wise, where it's like your defense kind of gets you a seat at the table but doesn't necessarily win championships for you. Like the days of the 2011 national title between LSU and Alabama kind of seem to be over, but every now and then it seems like maybe you could kind of put enough talent together to kind of an all-timer defense. Ole Miss found that out in a, a little bit of a different way last Saturday. I think they found out that you know, as much as fun as they were offensively, and it's a good story with Lane Kiffin, and he wants to beat Nick Saban very badly, football still won in the trenches, and Ole Miss simply just didn't have the horses on either side of the line of scrimmage. One, to put pressure on Bryce Young and stop uh, Alabama's running game in a three-man front, and then Really, what was the main story on the other side of the football was they just couldn't block. Alabama put six in the box, got pressure, but four or five each time and really just dared Ole Miss to throw the ball. And it didn't work out well when they did. So Ole Miss doesn't really have the horses in that sense necessarily from a talent standpoint to compete at that level. And again, what does that even really mean? Right. Because even if you look at the entire landscape of college football, it's those two teams and everyone else. So I like, I, yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of hard to gauge, but what's interesting with Arkansas is, is they're not bad in the trenches at all. I, I honestly, I know they, I know it wasn't Arkansas. Like they weren't functioning, functioning well, or as, as well as they could be offensively or really defensively. Cause I don't think they're kind of prone to giving up that much run yardage as much as they did on Saturday. But I guess what I'm trying to get at is Arkansas has actually kind of kicked people's ass in the trenches and they're kind of an embodiment of, Football still won there. They just kind of ran into the elite of the elite version this year. Did you kind of coming into the season expect Arkansas to be as good at the point of attack on both sides of the line of scrimmage as they've been so far? Because that seemed to be really where they whipped AM in particular. I knew for them to be successful, they had to be. And there was a chance of that because of the older guys and the tr- transfers that came in. If you look at the defensive line, the, the starters up there, when we go to a three, Three down linemen, you have three transfers. John Ridgeway, uh, Trey Williams, who was SEC defensive lineman of the week after at the AM game. And then you got Markel Utzi. Those three can go and they can get after it. So what that added was a layer of depth. Uh, you had Dorian Gerald, who 
was a third-year starter but hasn't completed a full season, and he's not going to finish this season. So, But you still have depth with Isaiah Nichols, uh, Zach Gregory, Zach Williams. Uh, they can just keep coming in waves. That allows the linebackers to play fast and play hard, and those three, Bumper Pool, Grant Morgan, and Hayden Henry, have been able to do that so far. Uh, Bumper Pool is up there at the tops and, and tackles for the SEC. Grant Morgan is kind of that heart of the defense. Him and Henry were two-star uh, recruits coming out of college uh, or out of high school. Henry was a walk-on, so was Grant Morgan. So those guys, and then if you look at the offensive line, yeah, uh, with, with Myron Cunningham coming back for another year at left tackle, one thing they are doing this week, they are going to – try some other guys on the interior line to see if they can get a better push. Uh, Bo Limmer, Shane uh, Clinton hadn't been doing their job. Ty Clary. So he's, uh, he's making some Sam Pittman's making some moves, moving some more beef in there with Jalen St. John and Tykeus Crawford who came over uh, from Charlotte last year. And those guys are 330, 350 plus. They saw the Alabama Ole Miss film last week and, and they know that they can get a push up front and run the ball like they have the first four weeks, you know, outside of the Georgia game. Yeah, I was about to ask kind of a follow-up to that is how much is that is that bit has it been them struggling last week and how much of it is rather seeing an opportunity and kind of wanting to get your best five out there, even if they're a little bit out of position to prey on what was a pretty vulnerable old miss interior run game. Pretty vulnerable actually probably doesn't even do it justice. Yeah, and Sam Pittman and offensive line coach Cody Kennedy have always said we're going to cross train our guys so we can put the best five out there and we can be prepared for any scenario. Ricky Strongberg, he's not going to move out of the center position. He's all SEC, has a chance to play in the league, uh, just like uh, old linemen that played for Sam Pittman, Frank Ragnall, Travis Swanson. Those guys have had good NFL careers. And I think you're exactly right. They have to get the best five out there that's going to be physical. They realized last week they had been playing physical but not physical enough to compete at the highest level. They've been competing at a good level, but not the highest level. And it was really interesting to see last week. I knew we were in trouble when the Georgia nose guard, who's 6'6", 360, did a swim move, got past the zone blocking scheme and ran down our, our back on the edge. That, that just shows you right there that they have to not only beef up up front, which they've done, but they have to play harder and more physical. Yeah, for sure, because I think that's a good point, because if I'm not mistaken, you mentioned the Crawford kid, and he had actually worked some at tackle previously, right, when you were talking about kind of making yeah. those guys a bit yeah. interchangeable, which is something that Ole Miss would probably wish they had a little bit of more of a luxury of, uh, particularly coming off last week. So that's kind of a fascinating – the next thing I was going to ask you was the defensive side, particularly the defensive line, is really interesting because – I guess we'll start here, like heading into spring when you viewed Arkansas's – actually, that we could probably go back a little further. When they left at last season, and last season was over, what was your, I guess, projection and thought on what the defensive line might be versus what it was, say, August 31st or something like that? Because all three of these kids that are playing defensive line for them are transfers, and then, I mean, would pick your – pick your fighter in terms of who's played best, but like Trey Williams seems to be kind of the story of the defense, but all these kids come in as transfers and it's really one of the better stories in the sec in terms of just immediately retooling using the portal to your advantage and having immediate impact guys, because on the flip side of it, we'll miss recruited a couple of junior college kids that probably not fair to say they haven't panned out yet, but they haven't contributed as heavily as I think maybe that the coaching staff would have hoped for so far. 
how has that defensive line kind of evolved from the time they left whatever their last game was last year in the COVID season? I don't even pretend to remember what it was. How has that evolved <laughs> all the way up to this point? So Barry Odom last year, and, and, I, and I go back to the Ole Miss game because we they had played well up into that point, and then they had the three-down lineman drop eight. They were basically running a 3-2 in the box, and Matt Corral just forced everything. And that's going to be different this weekend. But coming at, at the end of the year, everybody started exposing that three-down lineman drop eight. They just exposed it left and right. Hudson Clark proved uh, – at cornerback proved that that – Ole Miss game where he picked Corral off three times was just a flash in the pan. He was getting beat on every other play. So come and then you had, but you had four star linemen that were still young. They still haven't grown up yet. And I'm talking about Zach Williams, Mateo Soli, uh, Isaiah Nichols, Eric Gregory. Those guys were in that really good 2019 class um, along with Jalen Catalan and uh, Trey Knox on the, that's on the offensive side of the ball, but it was a pretty good four star class. So you were looking at those guys as starters, and then you get the Trey Williams and Markel Utzi from Missouri, who had been serviceable players. And then you got this mammoth nose guard from Illinois State and John Ridgeway. And he it was really intriguing, but we haven't seen them. So there were so many question marks. And we got and when the little bit that we got to see in preseason showed me that A, they're gonna have more depth, and B, they're gonna be able to get a pass rush. If you're going to play with three down linemen, you have to get a pass rush for that defense to be successful. And then as we get going into the season, uh, Trey Williams was hurt at the beginning. He came back. We saw what he did against A&M. And we got to see it uh, up front and live that these guys could get pressure and then they could roll them in wave after wave. They could platoon them. That way they're not getting tired at the end of the games. That was the big thing last year, Brian, is that they they wore out at the end of games and they just could not finish. This year they're able to finish, and I think they'll be able to play a full 12, 13-game schedule uh, because there, it, there's a lot more depth there, and they're playing better than what we could have envisioned. For sure, and that's kind of the antithesis of what Ole Miss is. They you know, hope to try to kind of piece together a little bit of the depth on the defensive line, and they've switched to the 3-2-6 and really got exposed last week. And I guess kind of the talk entering the game has been, well, what are you going to do to teams that are going to try to run you out of that, which is exactly what Arkansas is going to try to do. And I guess the kind of the point I've kept making is I don't know what they can do. They really only have about four <laughs> linemen they trust at this point. So it will be fascinating to see how Ole Miss is able to combat that because one, they don't get a consistent pass rush and two, they don't have the depth, which is costly when, like you mentioned, when you go with the three down linemen, um, I understand the move to the three, two, six, it fit their personnel better, but there are going to be certain matchups. This one probably included where that's going to cause, cause some serious, serious issues. And you nailed, I think with the A&M matchup, particularly in terms of how the defensive line play, because A&M backup quarterback in a team that's kind of been known to run the football. Although it seemed like we just kind of assumed that they could replace four or five offensive linemen, not have any issues. <laughs> yeah. And that hasn't been the case at all. Like that, that seemed to just be kind of glossed over because of how good AM was defensively and Arkansas kind of exposed them there. Once now that Arkansas is leaving the Georgia game last week went about as badly as it could. I mean, that's yeah. kind of one of those ones where, I mean, yes, Ole Miss is in the same boat to some extent where they're probably just wanting to flush it and move on to the next week. Whereas I think they learned probably a lot more about their limitations and weaknesses that maybe they didn't know going into the game where Arkansas probably had a little bit of an idea of how that might go and they didn't play very well. So it's like, let's just burn this tape and get to the next game. 
coming off of the loss last week and given how A&M's looked since, and then I know Texas has since switched quarterbacks, whether you want to go from a program perspective or your own or just kind of the temperature of the fan base, has this four and one start been viewed any differently or was last week just kind of a case of not quite being at that level? How did you think the fan base are pretty, I guess you could count people inside the program as well, kind of view this four and one start versus maybe the way they did the moments after the A&M game. So the, the biggest thing that the program has been talking about is we believe, and I alluded to that uh, at the start of the, the segment here, and they do believe, they believe that they can go out, and be, not only be competitive, but be there to win every game. If you would have talked to any fan uh, of the Razorbacks, they would, have, they would take four and one and be happy as can be right now. And I think a lot of people got hung up in all the hype last week. I, pro- I projected 27 to 10. I, I figured we would come out and be able to score, but they would pull away like because they're just too fit. Georgia is just too physical. It didn't go like that because they were physical, but Arkansas gave them a lot too. The block punt which is the fourth and 15 games. They have to clean that up. Uh, the penalties, you cannot start first and 15, first and 20 inside the 10-yard line and expect Kendall Browse to be a magician. Uh, nobody can do that. So I believe Arkansas fans have to learn to cope with hype in, in terms of being able to do it in the age of social media. The last time Arkansas had any relevance was 2011 um, in Bobby Petrino's second really good year there. So – Twitter was not around then. You got a lot more access to information, media, podcasts, all of that. So the fan base has to really temper expect, learn to temper expectations. And there's only so many of us realists to go around and say, hey, pump the brakes a little bit. But overall, the fan base is really happy. They've really bought into what Sam Pittman's doing. He could run for governor next year. I'm pretty sure winning a landslide. (laughs) The two coordinators, I think it's interesting. There's a lot of parallels. I mean, in terms of how weird this series between the two programs have been in the last seven or eight years, there's also parallels on the trajectory they've gone. I mean, they were both kind of at some point in the mix for Lane Kiffin. Now Arkansas, I, I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is it seems like in a lot of respects that Sam Pittman is maybe what the two people that hired Matt Luke um, – maybe had hoped that he would be in terms of kind of getting two established coordinators, the whole CEO of the program thing, which I think Ed Orgeron's deal has proved that there's probably a shelf life to that, particularly if you're a boisterous personality, but it seems like the Pittman's been a lot more receptive than Ed Orgeron is where Ed just kind of caught lightning in the bottom with two coordinators. But now that they're kind of a year and a half into this thing, how do you kind of view the setup? Because I, you could contend if you're viewing them as a pair. So if you're ranking the two coordinators together, I'm not sure there's two coordinators that are better than Arkansas in the country. How have you viewed and I guess analyzed how this dynamic has gone with Kendall Bryles and with uh, Barry Odom kind of manning their own ships on each side of the ball and, and, Pittman just kind of playing, I guess, like I mentioned, for the lack of a better cliche, the CEO of the program. How have you seen that kind of develop? Because it it appears to be one of their greatest strengths because they're always well-schemed. Yeah, and last year, Pittman, I bet what he he was in Odom's office every other day figuring out, you know, what do I do here? Because it's really the first time as a head coach at this level. He was at, at a junior college, you know, years ago, but he had to get people in around him that could insulate him to 
take this program out of the depths of despair. And somebody like Barry Odom, who is well-versed in the SEC, has been through the battles, he could do that. And plus, he is a really good defensive mind. So you, you tag team that with Kendall Browse, who is a young, innovative offensive mind. And it, like you said, it he's kind of the anti-Sam Pittman of what you would think he would do with an offense because Sam Pittman likes to play bully ball and run it between the tackles. So for him to think outside the box a little bit and go with the best coordinator that would fit his personnel was, was the best move he could make. So that allowed him to learn and grow as a head coach and not have to worry about that stuff as much. You really saw the him take that step forward this year in certain in-game situations that we saw last year was like, oh, man, that's a rookie mistake. You don't see those as much this year, whether it's calling a timeout at a specific time or a certain play that you most definitely know a fourth and one, you really want to go for it. He's owning that now, and it, there's less indecisiveness. So uh, it was a great hire on both of them. Odom had a lot of schools coming at him in the offseason. I think we'll be lucky after this year. If we can keep him one more year after this year, I think it'll be phenomenal for the program because they're going to recruit better and they're going to have a really good foundation to build on in the future. Offensively, Arkansas has obviously made their hay running the football. I think one of the things that probably maybe masked the, I guess, kind of seeing this coming in terms of Arkansas start is it seemed like everyone was focused on what KJ Jefferson couldn't do in terms from a passing standpoint. Uh, a lot of people listening to this podcast are, I imagine, at least somewhat familiar with him. Batesville, Mississippi kid. Ole Miss recruited him decently hard, but when it kind of became clear he favored Arkansas towards the end, Ole Miss didn't make a gigantic push at him. But what he is is he's a really, really good athlete, and they've shown that in the running game. He's really good with his feet. But I think people kind of focused on what he couldn't do passing-wise to where, I mean, pick a program here. I mean, you could pick Kentucky. There's a couple others out there. Florida runs the ball really well, although Emory Jones is – kind of come along as a capable passer. But the point being, a lot of times in a lot of these games, and with the exception of Alabama and Georgia, it, it may not matter as much. Like you can kind of beat teams doing one thing really, really well. And so Arkansas has obviously run the football really well, but when this offense is functioning at optimal capacity, what does that look like to you? Because I think you kind of saw the opposite of what that was last week, but then you've seen it function pretty well against Texas in particular and A&M and Spurts. In your mind, what does the best version of this offense look like? Start with Jefferson, I guess. What do you figure his kind of ceiling is? Yeah, and I, I said this after game one against Rice. If this offense at, at optimal capacity, there's going to be 50 rushes a game and 25 passes, and that, that's based on 75 plays. So, and if you're averaging, you know, four and a half, five yards a carry, you're at 225, 250 yards on the ground, uh, and then eight yards – you know, per attempt, you're at 200. So you're at 425, 450 in total offense. That's how this offense can can run at maximum efficiency. Now, for that to happen, I think you have to go back to what you did against Georgia Southern and Texas A&M and throw the ball on first down. Last week against Georgia, they didn't come out and do it. They couldn't have in some of the situations they were in, and they have to avoid that this weekend. So better special teams, better penalty, and better with penalties – get you out of those situations. At one point uh, against Georgia Southern, they were six of seven for 200 yards on first down, throwing the ball. If they can come out and do that, because 
everybody expects him to run the ball. That That's true. So what can you do off of that? Uh, he, he has been really good out of the pocket, and then he's made some really good plays down the field. We do not throw the seam route well. We do not throw the ball over the middle well. To the boundaries, he's been a lot better at that. And then the short passing game, he's gotten better at. We haven't run a lot of uh, running back screens yet. We haven't – we've run one bubble screen, took it to the house against uh, Georgia Southern. Traylon Burks did. So, it's getting the ball in the the hands of your playmakers. We need Rocket – Arkansas needs Rocket Sanders, uh, A.J. Green, Traylon Burks, and then somebody else to really step up with the ball in their hands. They haven't had a wide receiver really step up, whether it be Warren Thompson, Davion Warren. Uh, but give those guys more chances. I think they'll do do some things with the ball in their hand. He's only thrown the ball 20 or more times in two of the five games. He has not reached 25 passes in a game. He's gone – I mean, I'll just read the other three, 13, 15, 19, 21 against Rice, 23 against Georgia Southern. How much of that would they like to see develop this year? Is this just kind of an is-what-it-is situation? And in terms of Jefferson being the starting quarterback for Arkansas for the next – two plus years or so what do you think that looks like like what's his ceiling as a player I know they brought in another quarterback in this class behind him how does that kind of look because again at a certain point I mean you kind of are what you are I guess this year but I don't think Arkansas would probably like to throw the ball 20 times or less a game for the next what three years I guess if he has that what does his future kind of look like and uh, kind of contrast that with the present and I think they're kind of building towards that Right now, the offense is one or two reads and go. It's not really difficult in terms of uh, route concepts or anything like that. He only has to read, okay, they're in a two-high safety look. This is where I'm going to go with the ball. They're, they're, they're cover zero or, or man free. This is where I know I got to go. That, that cuts down on a lot of decisions. And with the RPO game, just like uh, with the old Miss runs, if you see a lot of five – you know, six man boxes, it's you're going to run the ball, but they have to get a little bit better with their uh, route tree, their concepts uh, as far as route route running goes. And that that's on the wide receivers, too. If they have guys that can do it, I think they'll be a little bit more liberal with getting the ball down the field. That's how this offense is really going to get to where it can pass and run at a higher rate than what it is right now. Passing game is a is a little behind, but how do you get better? Throw the ball more. That's it. You know, how's the pitcher that goes out there, he wants to throw harder. Well, you throw more long toss. So it's the same thing. You got to work on those things in game to where you can really get good at it, find out what he's really comfortable with in the passing game and drill it, drill it during the week. And when you get out there on Saturday, get after it. It seems like it's been Burks and then kind of whoever else after that. In terms of how they use Burks versus anyone else, they don't really overly involve the tight end in the passing game. I think they have one tight end that has about five receptions. He's not. It seems like that when Arkansas uses a tight end, it's to use it's certainly on the line of scrimmage about ninety percent of the time, and it's mostly uses an extra blocker to kind of let their speed on the edge take shape and get to the outside. But as far as the passing game is concerned. How much are they moving Burks around and how much of that is predicated off of him? Because, it, again, like I mentioned, I mean, of the however many completions they have on the year, I think it's around 60, he has 22 of them. Yeah. Yeah, 54. Um, Jefferson's completed 54 balls. Hornsby, five or six. So, yeah, you're, you're right there. He's called a third of them. 
you're going to see him line up everywhere. They had in the offense that Kendall Browse runs, he, he's considered a slot, and that's to give the maximum advantage whether he's lined up on a linebacker or a safety. He's going to outrun both of those. If you put a corner in there on, he's going to out be out physical. Um, in that situation, what Georgia did was they put a man on and a man over the top. They were able to do that because they were physical enough in the box. Will Ole Miss be able to do that? Probably not. So it's Kendall Bryles' job. He, he'll line up in the backfield. He can run the ball. He'll be a running back, uh, motion out. He'll start, and then he'll start in the slot and motion to the backfield, and then he'll line up on the edge. Lining up on the edge out there when he caught the the 85-yard touchdown pass against Texas A&M it really blew the top off Jerry World down there. So the more they move him around, it is great and all, but if you don't have anybody else that can step up, that's where they need the running backs to come in that I mentioned, Rocket Sanders, A.J. Green, take some pressure off of him. For sure. And it seems like the running backs are decently involved in the passing game as is, and that predominantly being Smith. But when you kind of want to, I guess, one last encapsulating thought on this offense is seems like everything pretty much goes through Smith and Jefferson. Seems like it's a lot of run on the edge. Basically use both of their athleticisms, and then once they get – you know, once they get kind of outside the tackle box and they have the edge, their speed kind of takes over. How would you describe Arkansas's running a running game in the way they've had success rushing the football so far this year? They've done really good in the gap scheme uh, that they run and the, the zone concepts that they have. Uh, the option has been there some. When they've run the option, it's it's picked up 20, 25, and then we had a 64-yard uh, run called back against Rice. So, you, you could see more option stuff out of that. Uh, the zone has worked really good up until last week because the they would get good flow. Rocket Sanders did this against Texas. The flow was to the right, and the, end, the backside end didn't close down, and they were able to cut back. With the speed that those three backs have in Traylon Smith, uh, A.J. Green, and Rocket Sanders, that is where the zone running game really takes off. You think back to some of those guys that were at – Wisconsin and, and Melvin Gordon, those guys could really get after it and really go because they could see the lane, see the zones and the holes opening up. I think that's going to be really big over the next four to five weeks that they keep doing that and take advantage of it. We hit on it a little bit earlier it's, as we kind of shifted the defensive side of the football for Arkansas. They've been pretty opportunistic in terms of the way they've turned teams over, particularly when they capitalize off it. I think they got 20-something, 20 20, around 25 points off of turnover so far. This year was a little bit of their story last year, too, when they got off to such a great start. I think like two, three-fourths or four-fifths of the turnovers Arkansas force came in the first four games. You know the strength of the defense obviously resides in the linebacking core with Morgan Poole, kind of pick whatever the three you want there. Defensive lines we hit on earlier – Georgia was able to run the football pretty well on Arkansas last week. How much of that is a product of Georgia just having really four insanely talented running backs, a really good offensive line, and how much of it was exposing maybe a weakness that Arkansas had not previously either known they had or outsiders watching not known they had yet? How did you kind of analyze the way Georgia was able to run the ball on them last year? Because I think you know that game was 37 nothing. I think Stetson Bennett threw for like 76 yards or something. What, what kind of yeah. happened last week compared to the rest of the year? Yeah, you really kind of saw – because we went with three-down linemen to begin the game, and they thought – and they had to have prepared for both quarterbacks. Stetson Bennett, they were going to run the ball more and more RPO. JT Daniels, they're going to stretch the field a little bit. So when Bennett was announced as a starter, you had to know 
that, yeah, there was going to be some RPO, but they were going to run the ball. And when you have five, six in the box against Georgia, that's not going to, that's not going to do it. Their, their six are better than your six. It's not about the X's and the O's at that point. It's about the Jimmy's and the Joe's. So they were able to take six on six, and especially when you got two five-star tailbacks back there and make it work all day long, averaging five yards of carry and over 270 yards rushing. So they whooped us at the point of attack last week. That cannot be understated. Now, do they change it up a little bit this week? Because you got two really good backs back there, plus Matt Corral has really good legs. Um, they're going to have to change things up a little bit in terms of how they attack, whether it be – in the run blitz game or being more opportunistic, like you said, like they were last year. I think they've only forced six turnovers on the year at one, you know, 1.2 a game. That's okay. You know, you got a couple, I think four picks on the year. Jalen Catalan's got a couple. Monteric Brown's got a couple. But they haven't really forced too many fumbles. Jalen Catalan has been a ghost the last two games. And he's preseason All-American, preseason All-SEC. So I think you'll see more of those guys involved around the line of scrimmage within five yards of the ball this week so they can be more ball hawking, so to speak. Secondary-wise, teams have had, I would say, varying success. Texas has been a little bit of a different story ever since they changed quarterbacks. But how has Arkansas fared for the most part in the secondary? Because, you know, I guess if Ole Miss learned anything about itself last week is the fact that they're, you know, they need to run the ball one to kind of keep pace and, and, and do the tempo that they do to keep teams off balance. Two, I'm not sure against a good secondary, they're necessarily elite enough for Matt Corral to have open guys to throw to because Ole Miss struggled to create separation against Alabama secondary. They were down Jonathan Mingo. Kevin didn't really do the whole injury deal, but I would seriously doubt he plays in this game and who, who knows how long he will be out. How do you kind of see Arkansas's secondary matching up against Ole Miss's passing attack? Because I actually think a lot of that will be predicated on how Arkansas fares against Ole Miss's run game as well. Yeah, and the one thing coming into the season was you saw more guys out there on the perimeter and on the boundary that looked like they belonged there, not guys that were five nine, five ten, a buck seventy five, buck eighty. But with Monteric Brown and Ladarius Bishop, they're both from Ashdown, Arkansas. They were four star recruits. They're six foot 190, and they could go. Ladarius Bishop's one of the fastest guys on the teams. Now, they have to be better with the ball in the air. Uh, Monteric Brown had a couple of, you know, tough pass interference penalties last week, and uh, but they have gone after the ball more. It They are two of the better uh, cornerbacks they've had. Hudson Clark can mix it up in there. Of course, we know what he did last year. Um, he gets burned in the zone passing game. When, when he's dropped back he in man-to-man, He's not very good. So Bishop and Brown are a little bit more man-to-man, and, and it helps Arkansas better at that. Uh, with uh, Joe Fouché, Simeon Blair, those are the two safeties, along with Jalen Catalan, if they have a five-man shell back there. And they're physical. They're better in the run game than they are the pass game. Of course, Jalen Catalan is, is the, the hybrid to where he can, he can play the ball and play the run. So it's going to be big, and I go back to him. He has to have a, a really good game because the, the RPO that Ole Miss runs, I saw it in a couple of early passes with Georgia to where the receiver was able to get in behind the linebackers and in front of the safety. The safeties have to read that. And they have to attack it early. And if we have to leave the guys on the corner back there to play at that 10 to 15-yard level with the safeties, they, they can do it this week. 
How much drop eight do you think? Obviously, that was well documented. It's almost become a media cliche in its own right. The, I mean, they Arkansas really just kind of put Matt Corral's brain in a pretzel. And I kind of started this originally was going to ask this question from the standpoint of how much do you think Ole Miss is running success running the football or failure running the football? Or I guess from the Arkansas side, it would be how much success they're having stopping the run will be contingent on how much drop eight you see, but Ole Miss ran for like 250 something yards against Arkansas last year. Like they had success running the ball. They kind of chased the game late because of all the turnovers, but I guess how much drop eight do you think like they'll see? And I think Macro will be somewhat better prepared for it. I mean, how that's, that's been a storyline that's been written about ad nauseum. How much do you think <laughs> they'll see from it? And how much do you think they'll change things up? Because they've been more aggressive see, blitzing, it seems like, uh, yeah, particularly in the linebacker slot. Yeah, I think you'll see more variations of it this year. It won't just be 3-2. It'll be 3-3. Three, three. It'll be 3-4 at some point to where you have different personnel groupings, whether it be uh, Greg Brooks Jr., who's our nickelback, uh, their nickelback, he'll be on the edge, or you'll have all three linebackers in that, that could play the run game. So you'll have six in the box. So if you have – and that's really going to be predicated, like you said, upon the run game. If they allow – if they run for 250 yards this game, I think Ole Miss wins. We have to keep them at 200 or less to be able to win this ball game. If, if Because if the run game is working, that's going to open up things for Corral and company downfield more because we're, Arkansas is going to have to stop stack the box in, in that aspect. So I think you'll see more variations of it. I wouldn't be surprised if you see any slot corner blitzes or corner blitzes this week since you have a five-man shell out there that they can roll uh, to the blitz side. Uh, some things like that I would expect to see this week. How big of a – this is such a bad way to phrase this, but, like, how important do you view this game in terms of the grand skate like scheme of both this season and maybe kind of the next 18 months to two years for Arkansas's program? Because one of the things that I've contended, and I'm not alone in saying this, this has been – uh, I would say in terms of the media landscape, a zig that probably some people think is a zag, but I think you'll find out a lot more about Ole Miss this week than you did last week. Okay. You know, Ole Miss did was not able, like they didn't really have the horses in the trenches and the raw talent to compete against, you know, the best team in the country or second best team in the country and the greatest dynasty we've seen in quite some time. Not really a shocker there. I think if people were honest with themselves, it was probably more so about can Ole Miss overcome the fact that they don't have that. And it didn't work. Ole Miss played pretty poorly. I think in a game like this, Ole Miss will learn more, a lot more about where it is at as a program. And I think similarly, it could probably be pretty true for Arkansas. Because if you look down the schedule after this game, they have what? A home game against Auburn, a Little Rock game against Arkansas Pond Bluff. Doesn't really matter where that one's played. And then another home game against State. So like there's kind of time to rebound, I guess, even if they lost it. But then you get whatever's left to LSU at that point, Alabama, and Missouri, but I guess what I'm getting at is like to me, this seems like a pretty decent measuring stick of where these two programs are at versus where maybe they think they're at. It's probably not as concrete as that, but I think it's a pretty good indicator. How do you kind of view this game in terms of long term importance for Arkansas? Not just from win total, because this could game could, if you'd have told me this in September, I'd have probably called you crazy, or excuse me, August, but this could probably actually determine some New Year's six implications as well with the way the rest of the league is shaped up. Yeah, and I picked Ole Miss to go ten and two in the preseason. That that's right. I had Arkansas at seven and five. So the, it is big in the terms of it, it could decide the trajectory for the rest of the season. Ole Miss, they lose this game, they're zero and two to start the league. If and A and M's zero and three, so 
this is possibly for second place in the West. And going back to the New Year's Six implications, that's spot on because you win. If Arkansas wins this game, they have, I think they had it's UAPB, they're going to win. We know that. Alabama, going to Alabama and winning that game, it's going to be about as good a chance of going to Georgia and winning that game. So, then you have five 50-50 matchups in my in my eyes, and a lot of people know. Steve Sullivan with KTV Channel 7 here in Little Rock, that's exactly how he put it the other day when we were talking. I said, you're going to have a lot of 50-50, so if you win more of them than you lose, you're in a better situation at the end of the year. But it all starts this week, Sam Pittman and, like, every coach talking about the process or going 1-0 and for the week and schedules are for mamas and daddies to make plans and buy tickets. It's a it's a big game in terms of and just about every week is going to be that big for Arkansas because it's further out of the Chad Morris era that they climb and that stench is put in the past. The more they win, the better they play. This is not what I had written down, but I'm just curious. I know there was some conflict. I mean, towards the end, look, it, it was what it was. But in that Chad Morris area, I'm just curious. I actually I did. So I live in the DFW the area now. Yeah. I do some freelance and stuff for the Dallas Morning News out here, like high school wise. Like, if there was like that Chad Morris, like supporter left, or like he maybe didn't get the benefit of the doubt, like if that guy exists, that argument has to be squashed that he's at a high school program less than two years after being the head coach at Arkansas. I get that it's Allen, but like, how do Arkansas fans view that now, two years removed? Because again, it is Allen. I've seen firsthand coming from Mississippi, Texas high school football is a, a little bit of a different breed, but like how do Arkansas fans view that? They think he's where he needs to be. Every, the, the Arkansas fan base laughed when he went to Auburn because we saw our Arkansas fans saw firsthand how he turned the locker room into, okay, scholarship players on one side, walk-ons on the other. It was all about running plays and it, it was a lack of attention to detail that ended up getting him run out of town. And if you're doing the same thing at Allen High School, which is small college football, because at the highest level in Texas, that those are some really good programs. That's going to get you run out of there. They're not going to pay $150,000, $180,000 to lose two games in a year and not get a chance to win district. And that's the way it is in Texas. So he should know that coming from his, you know, his past before he really got to Tulsa, then Clemson, SMU, Arkansas. We're so happy – the fan base is so happy that they're past that era that uh, it's hard to look back and be like, man, that was just two years ago. It was. But the, the further we get past that with every win, I think the fan base just forgets about it more and more. He's Kevin Bohannon. Check out the Hog Talk, Hog Talk podcast. Does work at 103.7 The Buzz as well. Man, I really appreciate this. I know I'm uh, hopping back on with you guys a little bit later after this recording but from the sake of our end of it i really appreciate the time and uh safe uh safe travels this weekend and looking forward to it thanks brian and that was kevin bohannon really appreciate his time hope you learned a little bit more about arkansas and thanks for sticking around to the end with me uh on this podcast we'll be back with a pick show on friday maybe work in another guest i'm still trying to kind of work out the kinks on uh that one as i am usually for the friday show but we'll have our uh Friday picks with Greg. No telling where he'll be dispatching from, so stay tuned to that. And uh, we will catch you on Friday. Thank you for listening.